0: So, so the re- their employers are responsible for, you know, providing access to these documents. But, you know, one way is putting them in a, a binder. What about other ways? I mean, what about some technology that's out in the industry right now? Let's let's touch on, you know, SDS management from an online tool perspective. So everyone can like on their phone get access to an SDS if they need to, like they can scan a, a label and pops up the details of an SDS that they need to know about. I mean. Isn't that what's really kind of like changing the way we think of SESs in the industry right now?
1: Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. So over the years, we've, we've graduated from a stale old three-ring binder that keeps you know real old updated information. Those sheets never get updated. You know, I've, I've walked through plants where those three ring binders are just covered in
0: dust. <laughs> We've all done some audits like that before, right? Exactly. Like, this old SDS goes back from, well, that's an MSDS. It goes back 10 years and you haven't updated it.
1: Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders, climate champions, and sustainability professionals who are making an impact in their businesses today. Each leader solving complex challenges and providing solutions within their respective areas of expertise. And here's our host, Sean Grady.
0: Hello listeners, do you have your environmental transformation podcast sticker yet? Well, I'm giving away free ET podcast stickers to those who contact me via my website at www.shawnkgrady.com. So send me a message to receive this cool looking sticker to proudly show your support of the podcast. Then post up a picture on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook and tag me to help promote the show. It will be fun to see where everyone puts their stickers and I have put mine on my water bottle and my laptop. So what are you waiting for? Get your sticker today. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Grady, and today's guest is Atanu Das. He's the CEO and President of MSDS Writer LLC, and he manages a team of consultants responsible for researching, authoring, and updating OSHA compliant safety data sheets or better known as SDSs, and their international equivalents uh, and assisting clients with regulatory compliance. Hey, Yatani, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Sean. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's a pleasure and an honor.
0: Yeah, we're glad to have you on. And uh, we've been talking about doing this for a while, and I'm finally glad we kind of made it happen. And uh, welcome. So, you know, SDSs are a big topic in the industry, especially right now. It's it's environmental compliance reporting season. So that's going to be an interesting, you know, people are looking for these uh, these documents. But uh, before we dive into all the elements of SDSs and breaking them down a little bit for the listeners, because yeah, I, mean, I think they're a little complicated at times. Tell us, you know, how you got started in the business and what led you to, you know, start um, MSDS Writer?
1: Well, yeah, so i uh, had, originally I started out in the, with a degree in hazardous waste management. So as you can imagine, that was a pretty in-depth, specific degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, my first job was starting out as uh, handling a RCRA violation or has waste major for a large quantity generator, which happened to be a large paper manufacturer. And as you can imagine, I I learned pretty much trial by fire. In fact, that <laughs> interview that interview question was hilarious. It was... You know, they saw my degree that I just graduated like months earlier and they said, Hey, guess what? We got a Ricker violation. Can you help us out here? I thought, Wow. You're <laughs> like, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, the amazing part was it was like within a year, I had that thing solved, figured out, training in place. I mean, that, that degree just, you know, fit in right exactly where I needed it to be. So I was at the right place at the right time. And then, just uh, you know, over the years, I gained lots of EH&S, environmental health and safety experience, just by wearing other hats, you know, in and uh, other companies and in consulting positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with that, I learned like OSHA stuff, which is the safety end of things, health, some industrial hygiene stuff. And it was in one of those consulting jobs where a colleague of mine he wound up leaving the consulting firm and going on to a therapeutic drug company. So all of a sudden just out of the blue i get a call one day uh, it's him he's saying you know hey atano do you think you'd help me out can can you write an uh safety data sheet at that time it was a material safety data sheet for a therapeutic drug that we're coming out with and mm-hmm. said, you know what i'll give it a shot you know? <laughs> <laughs> let's why this. not <laughs> right why not let's add that to what i do so lo and behold you know um, i found the rules so that at that time it was uh early stages. Well, I mean, it was well into our hazard communication, and we'll get into that later. But the MSDS part of it, you know, I I put it together. um, It it met his needs. And I came up with this uh, website, msdswriter.com. And at that time, you could just easily list our website addresses, find it, you know, buy that domain name. And uh, from there on, it just, you know, took off. You know, so what just, time were we thinking? Like nineteen what ninety or
0: what? what, what, yeah, what how so, long ago
1: was that? Yeah, with that 98, I 98. okay, yeah, ninety eight. So not too super long ago, but um, you know, it, it it internet was still you know at its early just starting, starting. And I the the best part of this, I got a Yahoo listing like for super cheap, uh-huh. not thing maybe free. And for years, it was like the top 10, you know, no searching and optimization required. No. And, and, you know, if I ask anyone, what does MSDS writer do? It's kind of in the name,
0: right? Yeah, I write MSDS. Right.
1: And, but frankly, I, over the years, it, it took a lot of tweaking of the message on our website to get people not to ask that question anymore. So, yeah, right. But, so, um, yeah, it's it's been picked up ever since. It's a nice niche market. Um, it's almost like what I I like to tell our clients is we're almost like the tax preparers. You know, you can you can have HNR Block a set of accountants do your taxes. We're the we're the people that fill out that paperwork and know what's what and all the, let's call them loopholes, but let's, you know. Yeah. You know how to,
0: you know, be creative with the uh, the wording and, and meeting the, the intent of the requirements, right?
1: Exactly. exactly. Yeah.
0: It's
1: well, Yeah.
0: I mean, that that's a good story. I mean, so about 22 years now you've been doing, you know, MSDS Rider. That's a, that's a good run. I mean, you guys are, you know, probably one of the leading riders in the industry. I mean, I'm, I know there's competition out there, but, you know, you're fairly well established.
1: Yeah, very much so. And I think what sets us apart is we we are kind of the niche author. You know, a lot of people feel like they don't get their needs met with a lot of this stuff, especially, you know, using that accountant metaphor again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it something that you can tra- trust with your tax advisor, with your mm-hmm. account? Well, we, you, we can be trusted. You know, we have people like you see in the, my name, I have an SDSRP. And that stands for Safety Data Sheet Registered Professional, which is a an accreditation, which is was done about mm, five to 10 years ago from the AIHA, which is the uh, uh, Association of the Industrial Hy- Hygiene uh, for the US. So mm-hmm. they, they codified this. Uh, it's a set of tests um, that we have to keep maintenance points on and keep updated so that these regulations are always current. And, you know, at any given hour or every given day, there's a new set of regulations we got to oh. keep. Oh, so. uh, well,
0: we're going to get into some of those new regulations that kind of hit a little couple years ago that kind of probably put everybody in a spin. But, uh, you know, let's talk about the purpose and the elements of the hazard communication standard. And, you know, why do we even have this regulation? You know, I think that's, that's what's driving... These SDSs. So, talk about that.
1: Sure, sure. So, this was first adopted in 1983. So, under the OSHA uh, guidance, this HCS or Hazard Communication Standard, what it does is it requires manufacturers and importers to evaluate the hazards associated with their chemicals. Mm-hmm. And for every hazardous chemical, these manufacturers and importers must develop a container label and a material safety data sheet as well as provide these to all downstream users of the chemicals so in turn any employer with employees working at, with these chemicals must mm-hmm. also be aware so you 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 make them aware using a hazard communication program a written program mm-hmm. also consists of training the employees in how to understand those labels and the material safety data sheets so that's really the element you you're basically trying to ultimately get people to not only have a right to know about safety data sheets they also have a right to understand the safety data sheets so that's that's really the crux of why we have a hazard communication standard in our workplaces uh it's it's really to get get our people aware of what. Yeah, they need to know the hazards
0: There are the potential hazards that they may be encountering when they're actually working with the material or handling it. And, you know, you don't want to have people exposed unnecessarily to, you know, chemicals that they don't know that, Oh, that burns when it's on your skin. right. I mean, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, safety precautions and, and, you know, companies don't want to be faced with lawsuits because they didn't do a good job of communicating those hazards. Right. So it's a good law. It's a good standard. And, and I'm glad we have it. Um, you know, you talked about, you've been doing MSDS uh, writing for, you know, 20 some years now, and, and some of the changes over time and knowing the ins and outs of the requirement, but Talk a little bit about, you know, just a couple of years ago, the global harmonization system, the GHS and classification labeling, that changed. That was a, you know, there was a lot of effort going on in the industry to, you know, train people on the new uh, requirements and the updates to the standard. And it essentially changed the name from MSDSs
1: to SDSs. Isn't that right? That's right, absolutely. And you know, going back to again to the history, even in the years since the Hascom standard went into effect, there were really no consistent requirements for what information had to be provided mm-hmm. on those safety data sheets and the corresponding container labels. So it really was a wild west of quality and quantity of the information given for chemicals. So we would see things like, you know, even for the same chemical, you'd see maybe a two-page MSDS versus a 25-page MSDS. Uh, for the same yeah, right. And because there just wasn't any consistent way to communicate those hazards. So over time, even in 83, OSHA understood that having a coherent and a broadly recognized means to communicate the warnings, this would actually lead to minimizing barriers to international trade and Mm -hmm. so it wasn't until 1992 that uh, the united nations had a conference on environmental and development that that group actually issued a mandate at that time for a consistent system for hazard classification so this was formally adopted under the ghs or globally harmonized system in 2002. so while this isn't really a mandated standard the GHS, what that does is it, it provides a an approach for countries to use this consistent method for classifying physical health and environmental hazards for the chemical mixtures and developing the corresponding labels and consistent SDSs. So at that time, that that actually changed from material safety data sheet to what we're calling safety data sheets now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. OSHA finally got around to adopting this method in 2012 and then revised their HCS accordingly, fully adopting it in 2015. So that's kind of a,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah the, in 2015, there was a huge like, hurry up, everybody. You've got to get this training in <laughs> if you're going to be doing this work and, and and updating your programs. And there was a bit of some uh, some people that were really, you know, like they took it to heart. Others be like, yeah, well, we'll get it in our training when we get into the training, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that, that was good. I mean. Well, you know, why is it important for companies buying chemicals to ensure that they receive a copy of the SDS associated with those products they're buying? I mean, let's talk about, you know, the importance of the companies understanding uh, that part of the process and make sure, hey, I have a copy of this and I'm going to need it for some reason. You know, let's (laughs) talk about that.
1: (laughs) Sure, absolutely. I mean, first off, manufacturers are, are legally required to send these safety data sheets for the chemical, either with the first shipment or prior to the first shipment. And again, it's required for all downstream users to communicate the issues involved with their hazards. The receiving entity or downstream user of the chemical can then decide if introducing this new chemical into their workplace may cause potential compatibility or safety issues. And then they may decide they may even reject the shipment entirely because it may not fit in with their chemical inventory. There could be more hazardous chemicals introduced into the workplace. They may not want to do that. So this gives them a way to kind of uh, vet the chemical before it reaches their workplace. That's really the main reason they're keeping that copy on hand.
0: Well, you know, and then are there other like employer responsibilities for the SDS with employees that they, you know, need to be able to or that they should be aware of, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, like we said earlier, so it's, it's ultimately the employer's responsibility to ensure a workplace that's safe and free of, of harm. So the way they do that is they're maintaining the chemical inventory of all those physical and chemical hazards uh, and, and the associated safety data sheets with those uh, chemicals. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they keep these on file in a readily accessible place so that when or if the employer is work employee i should say is working with those chemicals they're involved in a in an accident or an incident if it gets in their eye on their face they need to know how to deal with that right uh-huh. away the uh-huh. that. So they're, they need to be trained exactly how to read it understand it and and how to deal with the accident and the issue and in, in, in working with that chemical well, you know, talk a little bit about
0: like so. So the the employers are responsible for you know providing access to these documents. But you know, one way is putting them in a, a binder. What about other ways? I mean, what about some technology that's out in the industry right now? Let's let's touch on you know SDS management from an online tool perspective, so everyone can like on their phone get access to an SDS if they need to, like they can scan a, a label and pops up the details of an SDS that they need to know about. I mean, isn't that what's really kind of like changing the way we think of SDSs in the industry right now?
1: Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. So over the years, we've, we've graduated from a, a stale old three ring binder that keeps, you know, real old updated information. Those sheets never get updated. You know, I've, I've walked through plants where those three ring binders are just covered in dust.
0: You know. <laughs> <laughs> We've all done some audits like that before, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. Like,
0: I mean, th- this old SDS goes back from, well, that's an MSDS. It goes back <laughs> 10 years and you haven't updated it.
1: <laughs> and then guess what? That's that's low hanging fruit for an OSHA inspector. When they walk through, they're going to randomly pick an employee on the, on the work floor and ask them, hey, you know, how do you find information for this? Oh, it's in our three ring binder. Where is it? Yeah, show me, right? Show me. And then
0: let's uh, let's go and find that SDS so right. we can, you know, look at it and see if there are any hazards you should be aware of or whatever. And and I think that's where, you know, a lot of employers get kind of complacent, right? They get complacent in the, in the sense that, hey, I got it. It's in a storage or, you know, I got the maintenance guy taking care of that. Right. Right. I mean, you know, because they're the ones buying all the the degreasers and the WD-40 and stuff. And, you know, they're the ones taking care of that. And well, maybe I mean, or is it the safety guy's responsibility or is it the procurement guy's responsibility or what about the environmental guy? Right. So it's like people are pointing Point. fingers and not taking accountability on this whole process at times. And talk about some challenges in that, because I think people need to understand it can be complicated.
1: Oh, very much so. And especially, you know, uh, you have to get buy-in from your, your ultimately, your line worker. If they're not aware, you know, and like I said, if an ocean inspector just comes and randomly asks a question, hey, what's in this bottle you're using? If it's not labeled right, or if it's not in the right language, maybe you have a, you know, a predominantly foreign language or Spanish-speaking workforce. Is that container label easy to understand? Is it in English? Is it in Spanish? You know, are you training your people in those applicable languages? Yeah, it starts with your floor person, your management, they all have to buy into this. And if you're not, I mean, it's this hazard communication violations are always within the top 10, if not the top five, every year, whenever you see a list of top 10 violations Hazard communication is always in the top five.
0: And I, yeah. I mean, it seems like it's a challenge for companies to stay on top of that. And, you know, digital technologies can assist with just maintaining that and, and having a point person that, you know, it's responsible for updating the inventory or updating those SDSs as they purchase. And, you know, I think... um you know, I, I, we work, I sell, I, I kind of do that on a day, day job is, you know, sell uh, SDS software. So those are kind of neat, good tools uh, to, to provide uh, support uh, of companies who need that, that component in their management system, you know, because whether you're ISO certified and, and you're trying to maintain an EMS system, well, you better have a good, Documentation trail for SDSs and you're and you better have your good Hascom, and it makes sense to have it all connected, right? Oh, um yeah. This episode is sponsored by PACE, people advancing science to protect our environment and improve our health. PACE provides an unmatched depth and breadth of testing and analytical capabilities along with professional services for your in-house lab needs. They have the expertise, capacity, and delivery infrastructure to provide the certified results you require when and where you need them. With over 40 years of innovation, more than 500 certifications and accreditations, PACE is serving customers through over 100 lab and service center locations with mobile lab, on-site, and emergency response service options available. At Pace, they honor their commitments so you can honor yours. The next time you are presented with environmental testing and analytical needs, turn to Pace. To learn more, go to www.pacelabs.com. That's www.pacelabs.com. How do you get pulled in to companies when they're, they're struggling to make sure that the SDS either has the information that they think they need or maybe they got a product they started to create and they're like i need to create something because like, we're selling a product and that's the perfect probably time to bring you in right
1: yeah exactly i mean like i mentioned so you've got the importer you've got the manufacturer you've got the employer all three of those can be affected by having a compliance safety data sheet so <clears throat> so just taking the the manufacturer's point of view if they're working on a new chemical you know, you have to work on getting the right physical, chemical property information. You know, at a minimum, a lot of times we're looking at if it's a liquid, pH, flash point, boiling point mixture, uh, testing, in addition to the formulation information. So we're gonna look at raw material safety data sheets. We're gonna look at other data, toxicity data. And again, we'll get into that with sections of these SDSs, but these are all required in order to create and using those GHS rules. So it's a codified set of rules under the globally harmonized system. Mm -hmm. Look at, for example, if a product has flammable qualities, you're gonna look and see if certain thresholds are met, it may meet a flammable liquid hazard classification. Mm -hmm. In that case, it requires a certain set of warnings, uh, warning words, warning statements, you know, um, a, a set of hazard, precautionary statements that are consistent around the world. And that's the harmonization piece of why we have these statements. As I mentioned earlier, if you have this wild west of safety data sheets, you're going to get a hodgepodge of stuff saying, you know, rinse eyes with water or use something else, you know, and, and it's just not making sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, a hodgepodge kind of creates risk and accidents will happen because yeah.
1: someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. typically you know because there's confusion and they don't understand right right and that led to you know better pictograms you may see out there you know they're symbols that that look pretty straightforward you know the skull and crossbones mm-hmm. you to know what that means right away and it doesn't take a lot of language to tell you that this is something I should be aware of if I'm mm-hmm. in the
0: workplace yeah That's- no I love it I love it so all right well let's just do a little deep dive and break down the SDS I mean how many sections are we talking about in the SDS?
1: So there are 16 mandated sections, and these are spelled out very clearly in the OSHA regs Specifically, you'll find them in 29 CFR, which is a Code of Federal Regulations, 1910 1200. And in Appendix D is where you're going to find your mandatory section headers. And um, it starts out real simply the identification is section one. Mm-hmm. That's really simple. It's going to be your product identifier, the, the name of the actual chemical that you're using, any synonyms involved with those chemicals, of course, the recommended use, and then who makes it, who's the manufacturer. So you're going to need your company name, address, emergency phone number, and any responsible people to call in case of an emergency.
0: Now, let's talk about that phone number. Is that supposed to be manned 24-7?
1: Not really. So it it actually under OSHA letters of interpretation, you are supposed to have it answered by somebody knowledgeable within a work shift. So if your typical work shift is an eight hour work shift, you should be expecting somebody to answer within that eight hours. Um, the 24 hours, it's 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 nice to have that. The 24 hours is a lot more helpful for if your chemical is involved in a, in a you know overnight transportation hazard or, you know, you have an emergency um, visit to a doctor and your employee goes to a hospital late at night, that's where it's going to be important to have some, you know, potentially 24 hours uh, response time, but it's not really required. So over the years, this was interpreted by OSHA to mean a workplace work shift.
0: I guess, I guess they probably also fall back on the fact that, you know, all the information in the SDS should provide a responder or somebody else enough information to know how to deal with the chemical and not have to rely on somebody specifically at um, the manufacturer of the company for, you know, to address a question associated with the product. I
1: mean, right. Would that be kind of right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the point. I mean, as much information as you can get onto a safety data sheet without overwhelming you know, the end user. And certainly you're gonna have your doctors that are gonna know about toxicity information. They're gonna understand later sections of the SDS as it pertains to the specific hazard
0: of the chemical. Okay. So we got identification is one, basically hitting the high levels who who's the, you know, what's the name of the chemical and who manufactured it, how to get a hold of these guys.
1: What's number two? number two is your hazard identification so as i mentioned earlier you have these sets of rules that uh, you as an evaluator of the chemical have to use these classification guidelines and again you're you're classifying all the various endpoints that deal with the physical hazard the health hazard and optionally and in the u.s you don't you are uh optionally you should be classifying the environmental hazard, but uh, OSHA does not require that. It's it's more in <clears throat> regards to EPA requirements. So when you do find out the hazard classification according to those endpoints, you're gonna in this section, section two, this is where you're gonna have your signal signal word and the associated hazard statements, precautionary statements, all that are consistent and you will see them outlined. If you have, for example, a flammable liquid, you must use these prescribed um, printed precautionary statements as stated in the regulations. And then the associated pictogram uh, must also be listed in this section. And what you do to do the proper classification, you you look at all hazardous components of your product that are listed either at 1% for your physical and some health hazards, or 0.1%. Now, 0.1% is for things like carcinogen, reproductive hazard, or mutagenic hazards. As you can mm-hmm. see, that's like 0.1% looks at a much lower threshold because those are more damaging potentially to- a- Well,
0: let, let's dive into that. I want to double click on that. that carcinogenic hazard concept you know pfos is such a big topic right now in the industry and you know polyfluoroalkyl substances are now you know they're the forever chemical and the in the the exposure concentration level of those chemicals are so low right how now are the companies dealing with that you know quote unquote because technically it's not a hazardous waste or hazardous chemicals per se in in the tosca regulations and whatnot but i mean i would imagine companies should be disclosing those types of hazards in there in here at some point in the near future if not already what do you think
1: i agree and you know that and we're also looking at like nanoparticles are, are very cutting edge things that you know we have no concept for these nanoparticles can can you know uh, cross the brain threshold you know there is a brain barrier that we have never even thought of as a hazard Uh Uh, is with the same thing we just don't have enough data yet but these should definitely be treated like these same physical and health hazards so I think the jury's out yet and how these will be handled but again OSHA is going to blanket look at this as under general duty clause really under the general duty clause is you have, you have to maintain a safe workplace. And, you know, that could mean for hazards, just not even identified yet or known, you know, at one time, you know, carcinogen, we, we used to be working with carcinogens all the time and bathing in it and, you know, just yeah. to have the workplace. So PFAS and nanoparticles are going to be potentially regulated as, as much, if not more. Than these but we ought to start looking at them now
0: yeah i can imagine there's gonna be a lot of conversation around that with this sds uh, rp group and through the accreditation piece i mean you guys that's going to be a topic you guys are going to probably do some serious conversations about how to deal with that with writing new sds's so oh, interesting yeah. more to come on that i'm sure so uh <laughs> let's let's get into section three now we're talking uh what, what's this one this is a. Uh, Composition so this, of information or something or what? Yeah,
1: the composition and the information on the ingredients. So this is typically your your actual formula information. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: So
1: uh, if, for example, if this product is 100% of one substance, then you're going to list the chemical name, your common names of synonyms, any cast number associated with it, as well as any impurities involved in that, uh, as well as if it's a mixture of these substances. In addition to what I mentioned earlier, you're going to have to provide the chemical concentration, exact percentages of those individual ingredients. Uh, However, in the U.S. and actually in other parts of the world, you do have the ability to claim trade secrets if you don't want to identify the exact formula by percent. Uh, In that case, you are allowed to claim it as trade secret and not even identify it, or you can do a... uh, percentage range of the uh, ingredient in the product, adding mm. up to 100%. And these are all that, again, the hazardous materials, hazardous components that do trigger those classification hazards I mentioned earlier.
0: So in the, in the event that you've got uh, a chemical that, you know, might trigger um a hazardous constituent, you know, that needs to be reported. You know, maybe on an air permit or emission, you know, and you got to trade secret laid sitting there, right? And you really know, you really need to know the exact concentration. How do you get that?
1: Right. So this is where it's it's key to have a, a very good relationship with your vendor or manufacturer that's supplying you with these uh, products on your workplace. Um, as you know, you know with these record keeping requirements, it's very important to know exactly what's in it, how much of it is there present at your location. So what we recommend is getting a good uh, non disclosure agreement in place. You know, if if your vendor is is hemming and hawing about not wanting to get you know to disclose that information, mm-hmm. it might be time to consider maybe another vendor. Um, Right, because it could
0: have implications in your operations that do cost a lot of money for environmental reporting or or managing from a a treatment perspective right I mean there's a lot of implications to not understanding that, and I could see why someone might want to change vendors
1: absolutely and and you know if they're if they're being extra incorrigible, I would say definitely find a vendor that uh, will help you out with that or consider you know greener alternatives uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's a really good point. I mean, and I think a lot of companies now are going through that evaluation step, being more sustainable, understanding, you know, what can I take out of the inputs into the system that will reduce my chemical footprint uh, and be more sustainable. So that that process is something that I think everybody that's in you know the manufacturing process should go through and look at. Well, OK, so that's the ingredient breakdown. Uh, and in that section, let's talk about section four.
1: So section four, this this now I, I like to say the next couple sections are specifically important to your end users. So, mm-hmm. for example, first aid measures. This is section four, uh, as the name implies. This is the description of what is necessary for dealing with the different routes of exposure. If, for example, you breathe it in, the chemical. What mm-hmm. what is the first aid response if it gets on your eyes and your skin? Uh, if you swallow it. So you're going to want to know what are the important um, symptoms, the effects of if it gets on you or in you. And then in that case, how do you deal with the medical intention that may take place immediately? You know, what can you do with first aid on site? And then ultimately, if you have to go see a doctor, what further things you have to do? So the important thing here is to make sure that, you know, these first aid measures do apply to the actual chemical that you're talking about. And, you know, if you guys are, mishandling it, misusing it at your workplace. Maybe some of these first aid measures that are listed here, the manufacturer didn't really think of. Yeah, didn't intend for it that way, right? Didn't intend for it that way. So you have to consider that if it's in your workplace being mishandled in some way. You better find a way to deal with that first aid, aid, you know, if it
0: happens. That's a good point. That's a good point. And all these uh, sections are really... One of those uh, things that I think in a good HazCom health health and safety program, you're kind of calling out these these types of chemicals that and and, and making all your employees aware that here's the here's the ones that you need to really worry about in your day to day practice.
1: Right. 100 percent. So and yeah, again, (laughs) these should be in plain English. They should be, you know, very easy to understand uh, for your coworker. You know, how do I get this guy to a you know, this affected person? If it's on their skin, do I get him quickly to a shower that should be located in my workplace and eye mm-hmm. bath? So mm-hmm. all these things have to be considered when you're working on your emergency plan, your emergency response. Absolutely. Uh,
0: you- this episode is sponsored by Regenesis. Have you noticed that the use of traditional methods to remediate PFAS contamination in groundwater are proving difficult for many who are struggling to manage long-term PFAS exposure? Pump-and-treat systems using activated carbon filters are expensive and difficult to treat wide areas of PFAS contamination. But now, there's a proven alternative to pump-and-treat systems that eliminates PFAS risk for decades. Regenesis has developed PlumeStop, an in-situ remediation technology that solves PFAS remediation challenges in groundwater. Applied under low-pressure injection, Plumestop's colloidal activated carbon quickly and safely addresses PFOS without the expense and maintenance costs incurred with pump-and-treat systems. To learn more about Plumestop and the science behind Regenesis proprietary organic polymer dispersion chemistry, go to www.pfastreatment.org. That's www.pfastreatment.org. Okay. Well, section five is, uh, what's that one?
1: Firefighting measures. So again, as the name implies, what are you going to do to extinguish a fire? What are the proper extinguishing agents you should be using, uh, any specific hazards you should be aware of when this chemical catches fire in addition to that any protective equipment that firefighters should be trained to wear when they come to your facility like a full face
0: respirator and right exactly exactly. full turnout
1: gear all of that that could be required for the firefighter
0: okay that's good to know I mean and I mean I'm sure that those are things that when these guys show up you're going to tell them hey here's your here's your hazard you better Bring these things. I mean, they're bringing it with them, but you might as well tell them when, before they get into it, right?
1: Right. Right.
0: And and what's section six here?
1: Section six, you're here. Your accidental release measures. Uh, again, what happens if this this spills in your facility? Uh, what precautions should you take? Any protective equipment you should wear? The emergency procedures. These should be spelled out in this section, as well as methods and materials for containing the spill and cleaning mm-hmm. it up disposing of it properly. So these instructions should be in section six. Okay. All right. So Um, yeah, moving on, we've got the the handling and storage in section seven. So this again, instructions to the worker, how you should be safely handling it, you know, uh, wear gloves when when handling it. Uh, What are the conditions for safe storage? You know should this be in a proper location should it be kept out of uh in a well ventilated area or kept in a temperature controlled room or properly closed
0: vented right vented
1: exactly your ventilation is important should it be handled in a in a enclosed box or in a glove box depending all these instructions should be listed in seven
0: that's good and then um now, is labeling part of that one, too, in storage and handling? or It is actually a, is. A- so, yeah,
1: in fact, some of those precautionary statements that are spelled out in GHS do talk about the handling and storage. So those are consistently spelled out um, You know, at a minimum you should have, and of course, add on to that. And <laughs> the nice part of that is because it's a statement that's consistent, it's already translated for different parts of the world as a consistent statement to be used across the world.
0: Okay. all right. So then eight, what's eight?
1: Exposure controls or personal protection again. So this is where if there are any workplace exposure limits, usually for the US, these are OSHA permissible exposure limits, Uh, you know, that's by the individual chemical. These are listed in in the government sources. Uh, For example, if you have uh, ACGIH, or American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygiene numbers, threshold limit values. Any other relative or relevant uh, exposure limits used or recommended by the manufacturer should be listed in this section.
0: So time-weighted averages there and things, right? Correct, correct.
1: Yeah. So it, it, you know, how much of it can be safely uh, present in your workplace for an eight-hour work shift, for example. Yeah, That's right.
0: Yeah, because, you know, some, some you know, manufacturing environments – you know, uh, you can't really avoid some of the exposure that you're gonna, you know, be involved with because of the process, because of the way it's the products manufactured and the products used to do that, and and in 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 doing so, you need to have these types of uh, controls in place so you don't overexpose, you know, employees to uh, some of these chemicals that you might be using. So yeah, I mean. That's good to know. And uh, I'm glad that they've got a good section in there to talk about those types of uh, PPE and exposure control. So, you know, you're also telling them, hey, you wear, you know, all your basic PPE and... and, and Safety glasses. You, yeah,
1: right. Yeah, yeah. The respirator if needed, how to, you know, properly handle those respirators. That's always a big issue here in this section. Um, Absolutely.
0: Okay, so what's nine?
1: Nine is a big one. This is your physical and chemical properties of the mixture. So this covers everything from the appearance, what physical state is it? Liquid? Is it solid? Ah, Does yeah. An Boil, old,
0: boiling point, boiling point, yeah. Flammability this, and density, yeah. all that good stuff, right? All that
1: good stuff. There's a whole list of those, and you know we we try to say, uh, and the way the the way those, these rules work is if you've tested or or if you haven't tested, you have to fill in these sections and say not determined if you don't have the data. Um so that it they the reader knows that that there is something that maybe hasn't been tested for. But um you know the manufacturer should be telling you that. Are
0: there any basic like bare minimums you need to have? I mean like you know, you can't just put a, something in you know in this section you can't just have not available, no data available for any of them, right? I mean that would be like okay. But no. growth
1: is justice, yes. Exactly. Right.
0: <laughs> What's the minimum here you got to have? So
1: yeah, what, I mean, certainly the appearance—if uh, it has any odor, you know, the color—you should have a basic understanding of what the product looks like. It's almost similar to pharmaceutical; like you may see the product insert. It'll tell you this is a pill. It's—it's—you know—it's oval shaped. It's got the uh, the letter S on it. These things you should have. Also, the physical state is—is is, should be a no-brainer on this. Um, pH, a lot of times that's a very easy test that, mm-hmm. that can be done very easily. Uh, flash point also. Yeah. Just with liquids, you know, we like to tell our clients at a minimum get us pH, flash point, and boiling point. Gotcha. So those things get us, you know, 99% of what we need for properly uh, classifying the hazards for a lot of these, you know, so,
0: so, okay. So that's number nine, physical and chemical uh, properties. So what about number 10? 10, 10,
1: section, section 10, section 10, right? So this is your stability and reactivity section. So this is what happens if, uh, if, for example, if it reacts with an incompatible product, what, what conditions should you avoid any reactivity hazards? Um, you have to list any potential hazard decomposition products if it's involved in, again, an accidental release, a fire, what should you be looking out for, conditions to avoid, you know, keep the material away from uh, sources of ignition, or, you know, keep it in a clean room. These are things, you know, otherwise, you could have a, a potential reactive hazard that you, are, you should be aware of.
0: Mm, okay, all right. Okay, and then... Um... Section 11,
1: 11. Okay. So section 11, this is your toxicological information. So again, this ties in nicely to the GHS classification requirements. Uh, you, here is where you're going to identify information on likely routes of exposure. So again, your, if the product can you know be inhaled, ingested, get on your skin and your eye, what are, what are the things that can happen? What are the signs to look out for? any symptoms related to these physical and chemical hazards the characteristics should be identified here uh, immediate or chronic effects from short and long term exposure any any okay. acute uh, acute toxicity information this is this should be identified here there may be some uh, industrial test data that we can list here if For example, if it's a carcinogen, this is where you're going to list, you know, component A of this product has is known carcinogen. Mm -hmm. It's identified on the International Agency for Research on Cancer or IARC monographs uh, or by OSHA. So if it's an OSHA known hazard, uh, carcinogen, reproductive hazard, mutagen, et cetera this is where you're listing it. When
0: I see, you know, ecological uh, information, I'm also thinking, you know, plant and biological life, you know, besides the human exposure. I mean, is that even addressed in this section, or is it that, that's just kind of a misnomer? a Bit.
1: It's actually in the next section, so it segues oh. to that. So that's actually section twelve is where your ecological
0: information. Oh, I skipped one there, didn't I? <laughs> sorry, sorry, fans. I skipped <laughs> that ET Nation. I apologize. I got jumped ahead here. You jumped
1: ahead, but that's good. You're aware. And that's what we're here to get you aware of the community. <laughs> that but, might be uh, a test uh, question
0: there. <laughs> there you go.
1: That's right. Uh, uh, so oddly enough, Section 12 is a non-mandatory section under OSHA. The reason being is OSHA doesn't normally have jurisdiction on what is essentially environmental information. So what they say is a complete SDS doesn't necessarily have to have ecological information in there. It's kind of nice to have in there. But the rest of the world requires this. So it's because we have different you know, uh, leaders in their own sandbox. You've got OSHA here. You've got EPA here. And later on in Section 14, you've got DOT, the transportation stuff. So OSHA kind of says in a 16-section in a format, some of these sections are non-mandatory because of that reason.
0: Well, wouldn't you have like a uh, marine pollutant uh, listed here if it was correct, a marine you know, yes. carcinogen type exposure issue? With, exactly, you know.
1: exactly. So all your aquatic, terrestrial information, this is uh, ecotoxic data, uh, persistence, biodegradability, uh, bioaccumulation, what happens if it gets in the soil, how mobile is the product. Uh, exact, and in addition to that, you may even cover other adverse effects, such as is your product going to damage the ozone layer? So as you can see, Uh, well, there's
0: a whole nother can of worms (laughs) (laughs) that we hit PFOS and ozone, same, same interview. This is great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that, you know, that's the the beauty of this communication piece. Safety data sheets can cover quite a lot. Yeah, right, right. It can be a blessing and a curse because, you know, again, people may tend to throw in the kitchen sink, but is it valid kitchen sink material for the end user?
0: So the next one's, uh, section 13, that's going to be what? The
1: disposal so disposal
0: the, considerations. Yeah. So this one's always important for a lot of people. I mean, you, you have the product, but then you, you know, use it. Now you got to get rid of it because, know, well, I
1: mean, it, it's outlasted its usefulness. Now what? Correct. Correct. And again, another non-mandatory section for OSHA, but, Here's where you're covering your your description of the waste. Uh, if it's got any safe handling, how do you deal with it? Is there a specific type of method of disposal, including disposal of the contaminated packaging associated with that chemical? So you have to cover all aspects: the packaging material, what you know, the the product itself. Has it been processed in any way that could add additional hazards to the waste? This should be covered in this section.
0: I find this section, you know, routinely light on, you know, what uh, the true actual disposal classification should be for these chemicals. Uh, You know, I I don't know about you, but, you know, you know, if you've got a lot of chemicals that have benzene and other, you know, types of uh, carcinogenic chemicals, and then you get down here and it's like, well, just make sure you properly do it because it's like you're not helping me buddy <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know a lot of times i think that is because it's pretty hard for a manufacturer to um encompass the range of processing of the product yet if this were europe you you could add additional sheets and pages and pages dealing with the disposal means of how to handle this mm-hmm. because they almost cover every downstream user of the
0: product. So you need a lot of extra knowledge on properly characterizing waste. Um, you know, a CHMM certification could help you kind of in that aspect of managing. Um, I'm just throwing plugs in here for Gene and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> HMM
1: <too. laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, again, this adds to the the breadth and depth of knowledge you need. For, for doing all these various sections of the safety
0: data absolutely well I get into dot another one i mean you know the next one section 14 is transportation requirements and or information and i i always like hey look here's how we actually ship the, the here's the proper shipping name for this product that we ship it on which if, if it's like here's the pure product or the chemical product when it's not used or you know, before it's not been you know you're going to use it and here's the shipping name. And a lot of times I don't see that in here sometimes, which is a bit frustrating because, you know, if, if you're just, maybe the product is, is uh, it it basically is it out, you know, it's it's past its shelf life and they need to dispose of it. Well, you got, if you have the proper shipping name listed there, that's what it is. I mean, you know, I mean, it's going to really help you get rid of things, but uh, that doesn't always come along in these sections on SDS. So I always find that, you know, frustrating right yeah
1: yeah yeah. it's like come on give us a little more details here (laughs) and it is again because i mean especially with the dot requirements you have to be trained and then annually get trained every three years take the whole course again you know you may not have people on staff to to know how to do these transportation proper shipping names (laughs) and that's usually why you see a lot of empty spots in this section
0: yeah yeah well i mean you know the industry is uh is always being challenged with uh, turnover and, and continuity and in, in, in operations to know what's going on, you know, and, and these regulations are complicated. Did you know E-Tank is the only environmental rental equipment company in the industry that offers a 100% certified clean guarantee at no additional cost? Well, this gives customers the peace of mind knowing that container contents from the previous renter isn't going to cross-contaminate the contents of the current customer and potentially cause liability concerns. You know, E-Tank also provides a -a one-of-a-kind complete maintenance program for all its rental items, including liquid-tight roll-off containers, fluid transfer pumps, and filtration systems components to learn more about the types of containers and pumps e-tank supplies check out their website at www.etank.net so the next time you are faced with an environmentally challenging project give e-tank a call to help solve your problem it's just that easy so let's go to the next section 15. 15 is is
1: regulatory information okay Again, this is not specifically spelled out exactly what regulations you need to fill out And another non-mandatory OSHA section here. Uh, typically, what they say is it should have any relevant safety, health, and environmental regulations specific for the product in question. Well, that doesn't tell you quite a lot here, but yeah, it's a good guidepost. You know, if, if something here is where you might be listing if, uh if there's Prop 65 in Ca- in California, this might tell you that, you know, be aware that a component or two of this product h- is is identified as a Prop 65. Or
0: EPCRA, you know, EPCRA, you know, 311, EPCRA, 312, uh, you know.
1: Absolutely. But it's not a kitchen sink either. You know, you don't expect this to be an exhaustive list. Just like the other sections, you know, you may not have enough people that are uh, fully aware of all the... The standards it's a good mm-hmm. guide mm-hmm. at this it will help you with reporting requirements if needed um, but this is where you're typically going to find any applicable regulatory information
0: all right in the last section we're getting to the last section that was a good <laughs> breakdown this is the last one we're talking about that one
1: and finally so yeah, six, section 16 uh, uh, just a more catch-all other information so this would be a, including the date of preparation uh, the date of the when this SDS was made or the, any adopted changes to it. Yeah. So you should have kind of a revision history. Uh, a lot of times I've seen glossaries, um, keyword lists, sometimes even our old NFPA HMIS labeling is put here. So this is another spot where you can put more information as you think might pertain to the tenant Yeah, no, that's great. That's great.
0: Well, that's a good rundown, high level. I mean, there's a lot of detail in this, you know, listeners. So think about that when you start to really, di- you know, dissect these sections and how it applies to what you're doing. But, you know, let's talk about how it applies to what you do in a second. You know, like for instance, a lot of chemicals that you're managing at a, at a, at a site, uh, you know, how are they being used to comply with environmental you know, regulations? Uh, you know, especially environmental reporting and, um you know, uh, what, what's the importance of having these documents readily available?
1: So, yeah, it is quite important. In fact, one such example is uh, for complying with the emergency planning and community right to know act or EPCRA. So if you are an EPCRA facility, you are required to hold, keep your SDSs and provide these to your, either your state emergency response commission or your local emergency planning committee and your local fire department. So what that is, is you're, you're providing them with a list of these hazardous chemicals, what to do in case of a release, your community has a right to know, uh, adjoining your facility, what are you handling. Additionally, you have to maintain and report on what's called a Tier 2 report. So this details the chemical names, how much of it you have on site on a given daily basis, where you're storing it and um, the location of it. And this report is due annually on March 1st. So we're coming up on on a reporting deadline every year, March 1st, with like clockwork. You got to put this in place. So.
0: Yeah, you got to keep documentation of the amounts and quantities of these products that you're storing, and 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 being able to uh, you know report on this. And you know it, it is a process, and and you really need to be able to you know identify what you have. And this is the best way to have uh, a good handle on that is as, as, as you know, having these SDSs available. Um, you know, talk about, you know, evaluating your chemical footprint. You know, we did touch a little bit about that earlier, but, you know, let's get into this a little bit. I mean, you know, your chemical footprint, you know, how does that affect my waste management activities? You know, how important is it to have, you know, your procurement staff and your environmental staff, you know, kind of working together to kind of meet sustainability goals?
1: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, the biggest, uh, thing that we help a lot of our clients on is procurement. What we find is uh, specifically for safety data sheets, you know, we're finding outdated information. We're, we're seeing that maybe purchasing without cons- consulting with their environmental group, they're bringing in hazardous things that really are going to throw off a, a site's, you know, way of sustaining green products or green manufacturing. Suddenly, you know, a big, uh nasty chemical a started coming in on the site only because a purchaser thought well you know what i've heard we've used this in the past why don't we do this again
0: yeah it's a good deal i'll I'll buy it because it's i got a bargain (laughs) now they didn't realize they just added a hazardous waste uh, to the site they're spending thousands of dollars to dispose of the waste right oh by the way now i've got to have uh, a new uh, generator id because i was a conditionally exempt i'm now lqg Oh man, now I've got a hazardous waste contingency plan to put together. I got a waste minimization plan to put together. I've got record training to do. You I got made? annual waste <laughs> <laughs> reports to do. I mean, I've got problems. I got weekly inspections to do. You just added, you know, you Tough can add work. hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of compliance obligation because a purchasing agent didn't properly think about you know the impact of the chemical they're purchasing
1: right and that's why I like to say if you have EHS staff get them involved in your purchasing group you know have have regular meetings with them absolutely explain the reason why you're not allowing certain chemicals on your site or here are the questions you need to ask your vendor your supplier before this this uh, you know a bottle of this chemical shows up unexpectedly and you got to deal with it mmm so, mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's really good. I mean, um how can an outside vendor like yourself help help uh, companies, you know, author SDSs? Yeah, so
1: yeah, the issue as as we've been talking about, this is a pretty complex document. You know, there's a lot of reviewing of data going on to prepare a safety data sheet. There these regulations are changing, you know, almost every other day it feels like. And if you're doing worldwide compliance, you're just now adding in more complexity <laughs> <laughs> right so you better hope you either have the people on staff
0: which yeah. is
1: getting harder and harder these days or you know outsource this a, a good outside vendor should have competent authors you know that are like myself registered safety data sheet professionals and also carry liability insurance you know they're going to have to be aware of, of they're working with your formula they're gonna know what the applicability is. They're gonna know, and in talking with you, how to properly use this product and comply with the worldwide requirements that you have to deal with when you are selling your product.
0: Yeah, no, that's 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 a great advice there. Absolutely, and and so you know, people that are out there listening to this, I mean. If you are in need of uh, an author, an SDS author, and you're looking, I mean, I highly recommend Atano here and his company, MSDS Writer, because he's been doing it for 22 years or more, you know, and he knows the ins and outs. So, you know, you know, give him a call. Uh, We'll have his contact information, you know, within the podcast uh, and on my website. So certainly want you to kind of reach out to him. But real quick, how often do SDSs need to be updated?
1: so uh, in the olden days prior to GHS there the requirement was three years every three years and that originally came from a requirement in Canada it was just kind of good practice there that that got adopted here but uh in fact after the GHS was fully adopted by both Canada and U.S that three, three year kind of went uh, away but now it is the the moment a chemical manufacturer is aware of any change, any significant information that could affect hazards of the chemical, the concentration
0: changes a bit, you know. Yeah, you reformulate. That's a big it. one, right?
1: Oh, big time. And and maybe you know it puts you into a more hazardous category. You're going to have to be aware of that. Inform your new uh, with the new SDS within 90 days. So oh it,
0: wow! So know. there's a there's significant obligation and. Then, I mean, how do you figure that out? How do you, you know, comply? I mean, who's checking that? (laughs) Right. So
1: going back to what you said earlier, this is where having an electronic database or something that'll flag. Yeah. Something new has come in. You know, gone are the days where your old three ring binder is just sitting there, not being updated. You can program it in place to regularly check. Check in with your vendors. Check in with your suppliers. Give them a call. Check the website. Yep, it'll get it automatically updated for you and flag it. And that's a nice way for your reporting requirements. Yeah, that's really good. That's good. Well,
0: you know, how can people get a hold of you, Atanu, uh, if they need help with uh, SDS writing and and, uh, some consulting support in this space?
1: Sure. So our website is msdswriter.com or we also have sdswriter.com. It will get you to the same place. So I, I thought ahead and bought that domain name too. Um, and then we, you can pick up the phone and dial 800-285-7237, and we'll be glad to help you out. Uh, that's good.
0: Tanu, hey, this was great. Thanks for coming on to the show today. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting this out to the masses and uh, the ET Nation, I'm sure, is going to be excited to hear this new episode because... A lot of good contents, and we're right in the throes of environmental compliance reporting season. You know, uh, Like you said, tier twos are coming up. Uh, oh, by the way, annual waste uh, reports are coming up, and you need to make sure you've got uh, good SDSs documenting your way. So there's all kinds of good stuff that these things are needed for, and uh, they really help the industry and, and, and prevent uh, you know, employee exposure. So thanks for coming on the show. We'll get this out. And, uh, you know, looking forward to some feedback when we uh, hear some from uh, the, the listeners. So
1: I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you again for having me on. You bet, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Take care.
0: Right. I want to thank our guest. Atanu Das for coming out of the show today. If you want to learn more about Atanu and how MSDS Writer can help you solve your chemical management challenges and your MSDS or SDS authoring needs, go to www.msdswriter.com. That's www.msdswriter.com. You can also connect with Atanu via LinkedIn, and I'll also put a link to his contact information on my website. To listen to future Environmental Transformation podcasts, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast networks. Or better yet, from my website at www.SeanKGrady.com. You can also follow me on Instagram or the Environmental Transformation Podcast Facebook page. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. We'd also love to hear feedback from the ET Nation about the episode and any future podcast topics you'd like me to cover. Well, thanks for listening. And until next time, make a positive impact in someone's life today.